The term burnout first came into use in the early 1970s in the context of air traffic control. Burnout results from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It's characterized by three phenomena. First, feelings of energy depletion and emotional exhaustion. Secondly, feelings of negativism and cynicism related to one's job. And thirdly, reduced professional efficacy. We tend to view burnout as an individual's problem, an individual's reaction, maybe even an individual's deficiency. But yet the early research on burnout showed it to be a fundamentally systemic problem, since those air traffic controllers being studied were extremely well-trained in coping with stress. Many were military veterans. The causes of burnout are often organizational and structural. Christine Maslick, uh, the Berkeley psychologist who created the Maslick Burnout Inventory, has a sort of weird but helpful metaphor that helps us frame how we view burnout. Dr. Maslick suggests that we think about uh, pickles. We think about really good pickles. And we think about sort of not great pickles. And she thinks that when we talk about burnout, we're really spending most of our time examining those cucumbers. But yet, if we put our attention on the brine in which the cucumbers are marinating, we might have more success in creating truly incredible pickles. I know it's weird, but what if we think about flourishing, happy, delicious, engaged and vibrant pickles. Welcome to The Behaviorist with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Kedron Crosby. Our intention for the Behaviorist podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift towards joy and meaningful achievement. Today, we're turning our focus on organizational burnout, and I'm extremely grateful to have Vanessa Filbert, CEO of Community Action Partnership, as well as my colleague here at Work Wisdom, joining me in an urgent problem-solving conversation today. Vanessa, thank you for being here. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here and to be talking about pickles. <laughs> was that uh, that was the weirdest intro we've no, ever it was had? So good because I think pickles are something that people love or hate. <laughs> Right. And then when you love them, you have an opinion about them. Yes. In a really interesting way. And it is all about that brine. It's so, so about like it's the totally brine. Good. I mean, the brine is the culture, right? Right. Yeah. 100%. And as leaders, we have a duty to great to make great brine. Don't yeah, you we think? do. And we have a duty to, <laughs> to know what the ingredients are, yeah. which I think is what is challenging. Um, and where we can lean into curiosity about this conversation about burnout. Yeah, I love it. Well, you know, I, I feel like there's not a lot of people writing about organizational burnout, and there are not a lot of podcasts out there on organizational burnout. And it's a it's a pretty big reframe in terms mm-hmm. of burnout. So burnout is costly, as we've discussed before on this podcast. 
Burnout costs organizations between 120 and 190 billion dollars a year. Um, you know, individuals with full-blown cases of burnout, they can lose months and even years of wages. Burnout increases the risk of coronary disease, diabetes, there are neurological implications, giving people less capacity for decision-making, memory, attention, emotional regulation. So research indicates that severe consequences of burnout on relationships, especially our closest relationships and the partner of someone who burns out is actually at higher risk for burnout themselves, especially given compassion fatigue. So we know it's costly. Um, We've seen it at the individual level. We've seen it at the organizational level. But I think it's important that we get to the causes of burnout. If we can better understand what causes burnout, either at the individual or organizational level, we can maybe detect it before it unfolds into complete mental and physical collapse. So let's talk about the individual causes and then think about when we've seen this, Vanessa. So individual causes, um, there's this personal predisposition, such as perfectionism. And we don't know anything about that, do we, Vanessa? Okay. Um, So we'll have to ask the listeners for their advice on that one. Um, And then the second one are personal situations, such as the stress we experience, um, the support networks, or maybe lack of support networks we have created for ourselves, the type of job we are in. I would even say the level of um, responsibility mm. we have in our families as breadwinners might in- impact on that one. And then the third element is personal coping and regulation mechanisms. How able are we to self-regulate our emotions, to process stress? We talk about the toolbox, what's in the top toolbox uh, drawer, top or bottom drawer. So when you think about these individual causes of burnout, um, Vanessa, let's let's think a little bit about your knowledge mm-hmm. of who you know in your world right now. Are is there one of these bullets that you feel like you're seeing more often than others with the people around you? Yeah, I'll I'll kind of highlight maybe two. So this idea of perfectionism Mm -hmm. is so interesting because I think there is a connection between um, how confident we feel, how active imposter syndrome is Mm -hmm. when we are feeling a little, you know, when that burnout starting to happen and we're becoming kind of highly critical, looking for perfection, not just from ourselves, but from the people around us, from the organization, and less grace is illuminated during Mm -hmm. that time Mm -hmm. Um, and curious about how in that space you just can't find joy Mm -hmm. because everything is just a little bit you know not right broken you're a little bit more cynical about the opportunity to get it right Um, so I think you know that's been interesting you know for me as part of a team um, I've got my own bouts with perfectionism um, and really seeing other folks in our organization and outside of our organization really struggle with not only perfectionism in their work, but in the world mm-hmm. and how that sometimes grieves our hearts because it's like, does this really matter? If I get this one thing right, everything else feels so broken. Will I be impactful here? Which I, th- I do think that external 
whatever's happening out here in the bigger universe mm-hmm. is really impacting people mm-hmm. who are trying to get something right. Um, oftentimes in pursuit of what they feel like is justice and real liberation within their organizations, but it's really impacted by the external world. And I think the part for me um, that I kind of resonate with is this idea of support networks mm-hmm. and how I manage that myself. Um, I think senior leaders can struggle with loneliness mm-hmm. in a way that um, we don't talk about enough because we want to ensure that we are not triangulating, creating toxic work culture within our team. But we have days that we're overwhelmed by, frustrated by, unsure how to you know, move through something. Mm-hmm. And there are very limited spaces in which I think senior leaders can almost unrobe. Yeah. I do think that that is a cause for burnout, especially at the senior leader levels, you know, because, you know, there's always the parking lot meeting that happens. And that's how that group can find um, community in working through an issue. There isn't that same availability to the senior leader. Yeah. Where you don't feel responsible for burdening your team with your worry, your concern, your inadequacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the two that kind of stuck out for me. It was like, you know, there are those of us who really circle around perfectionism mm-hmm. and how that can shift from being helpful to and it's almost like it can be a sharpening tool. Um, so sharpening sometimes is good. You know, mm-hmm. this idea of like sharpening something, mm-hmm. iron sharpens iron, right? Um, and then there's a moment where it starts to shift and it starts to cut. Mm-hmm. And how do we protect from cutting versus sharpening in this idea of burnout? I think that's the gray area. Yeah, it really is. And and I think you're spot on with this perfectionism being uh, a very relevant cause right now. I wonder if it's not um, a modern mm. cause of burnout because uh, with social media, we're always moving the goalposts Mm -hmm. for ourselves of what's good enough. And so perfectionism can really be um, insidious and and fueled constantly by that. And what you're describing with these support networks for leaders is so true because it's, Boyatzis calls it power stress, Mm. the kind of stress that is um, lonely Mm -hmm. stress. And there's a lot of weight on your shoulders to make the right decisions. So I think back to an authenticity circle that we had a few years ago Mm -hmm. and yourself and a few other leaders were part of that and you just supported each other. Gosh, that was at the beginning of COVID, through COVID. Um, so, So those are really great when we're thinking about individual causes. What can we do to stop moving the goalposts for ourselves so that we can actually get to some wins? Um, maybe turning down our diet of social media could be helpful hmm. in that way. And and thinking about how do we build and nurture support networks with other leaders who yeah. experience power stress so we can, did you say disrobe? Disrobe. Okay. Yeah. Well, I would encourage keeping your clothes on. I but mean, if you think I guess, it's important, if we must. okay. All right. Yeah. I would also say this is a great opportunity. It was for me. Is it is looking, and even if you have to create those communities, so whether it's being part of an authenticity circle mm-hmm. or like you know committing to some coaching, yeah. Um, probably one of the most impactful things that I did as I transitioned into an executive leader role was to say, I've got to commit to some coaching for myself Mm -hmm. because I needed a safe space 
to maybe, you know, just let my shoulders show. Mm -hmm. I won't totally unroll, but I'll just, you know, bring it down a little bit. (laughs) Um, And just know that I was with someone who could create safety and create space for me to, like, not fully have it all worked out, Mm -hmm. not have all the right answers, not even always have the right words to articulate the feeling. Mm -hmm. But there was, um, felt very seen and supported because that's often the space that I think leaders, it's in here already. Mm-hmm. We're just managing a lot of different things and we just need a still place and a safe place to say, oh, there it is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a little help to unwind it because mm-hmm. it can get a little tangled. But when I think about burnout and I think about leaders, um, my heart breaks for those leaders who don't have safe community because mm-hmm. you can get burned out really fast without it. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the time to reflect. Mm-hmm. Like like Dr. J was saying, you know, if we look back, then we usually know that whatever got us here won't get us there, mm-hmm. and we just have to look back, and, and having a coach can be really helpful. Yeah. Um, well, let, since today we're focused on organizational burnout, let's look at the causes mm-hmm. of organizational burnout. So sometimes it's a lack of transparency, in the organization. Um, Some of it might have to do with organizational structures. Uh, Some of it may have to do with um, vacation and work norms and benefits. What kind of benefits do we have or don't have? Um, What kind of coaching do we have or don't have? Some of it might have to do with role clarity. Is it murky? And so we just keep on splashing around, making the water wetter, um, trying to do the right thing, but we don't even know what the right Mm -hmm. thing is. So, you know, I'm sure that there's more that we can add to this list. When you think about organizational burnout today, um, what do you think are causes that might be most insidious? and maybe there's something else on this li- that uh, that in addition to this list that you have in mind that causes organizational burnout, Vanessa. Yeah, I, um, you know, I'm curious about two spaces that I've been grappling with for a little bit. And there are certain roles in an organization that sometimes when we're innovating new work, that the roles are really blank. You know, it's like a wide open lane. And, you know, I've seen people flourish in that wide open space and I've seen people burn right there. It's like too much, not enough guardrails, not enough clarity of role, not enough like goal setting, like this is what a win looks like here. Um, So I think organizationally, if we can, in holding innovation, as what helps us to be cutting edge. How do we create just enough and how do we really discern what those key players need to get to that win? Because sometimes the blank canvas is terrifying. Yeah. So there's that piece for me that I'm trying to pay more attention to. Um, also thinking a lot about our benefits and you know how we engage our staff to be um, connected to them and using them. You know, we often have... You know, there's there's the people who like never have vacation time because they use it as soon as they accrue it, right? Um, and there's a little level I think of criticism, that p- judgment for people like oh like oh they never they're always on vacation. Well, they're using the benefit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there is this um, unsaid level of you know confidence or pride of people who don't use any vacation time. 
Um, so I'm one of those people. I have like I have the max accrual of PTO. I can't accrue another hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and said or unsaid, I've got to manage what I'm teaching because people aren't always taught by sitting in a classroom with you. People are often taught by what they what they can catch and see. So it's caught versus taught. Right. And you know, if I don't create practices to say, no, I'm using vacation, I'm setting time aside, I'm not answering email when I'm off. There's, you know, there are other smart, capable people here who can get things, keep things moving along. Um, so that's one of my commitments this year is that I've blocked out vacation time on my calendar. I have some long weekends, and I'm just trying to be more intentional, even if I'm not going anywhere, even if I'm just staycationing and running errands or going to get a massage, whatever that looks like for me. Mm -hmm. Um, This idea around how do I demonstrate, um, not with my words, but with my practice, so that people can see like, oh, this is our cultural practice. We want to use the things that are benefits to us, our vacation time. You know, we recently um, created paid parental leave. I'm never going to benefit from that again. Thank goodness. I love my children, but I'm past that season of my life. But I know how powerful that benefit can be. So I think it's about being curious about those things and, you know, finding this balance of, you know, the big innovative projects. How do people really thrive in those spaces? Um, The other thing that I was curious about as you were reading through some of these um, is this idea of transparency in an organization Um, and, you know, how that does impact people's understanding of how we make decisions and what's available to them. Um, And sometimes I've, you know, been engaged with folks on teams where when they don't know kind of the background or the ins and outs or we're not communicating effectively, it makes them more stressed, Mm -hmm. which, you know, somehow is contributing to their burnout. It's not our intention. You know, our intention is maybe sequencing communication around a certain topic, but for someone else that not knowing elevates their stress level. So how do we find balance in rolling out information in a way that feels timely and responsible and transparent without moving too quickly? Um, and that's a tough that's a tough space for leaders. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Actually, the next podcast that we're recording today is on transition management. Mm-hmm. And so how do we roll that out with um, clarity, but not before it's time, mm-hmm. so that we mitigate the amount of stress that Don't people worry. are feeling. Yeah, I mean, we know that people are motivated um, when there's transparency, when there's autonomy, when there's relatedness, when there's fairness, when there's certainty, and when there's status. So, how can we how can we do our best at saying, you know, this is what we can tell you, this is what is yet to be determined, mm-hmm. um, and. And I think that um, I, I also really want to tell you how much I appreciate that you're highlighting role modeling. Mm. You know, it was not on this list from Stanford Social Innovation Review around the organizational causes, but yet role modeling, I think, might be the most important either cause or solution. Mm. Um, so when we're thinking about what norms are we putting out there mm-hmm. through our behavior, people are we are contagious and people are watching. Um, and if we are celebrating a culture of busyness and we're celebrating the 10 p.m. Slack mm-hmm. messages and the uh, martyrdom, then there's our brine, mm-hmm. uh, back to the brine. So. Yeah. So um, fantastic. Well, I, I really like where we're coming, where you're coming from, and I, I really appreciate it. So much of 
the solution in America to burnout was was pointing at wellness. And so um, sadly, we really can't yoga and meditate <laughs> our way out of burnout as much as we've Spread tried all the incense we can burn yeah bring the sage <laughs> but it's not going to really work uh we need to think about different solutions wellness in the workplace is an eight billion dollar industry in the united states you know that's yoga and meditation mm. classes other kind of wellness things uh workshops and in 2019 harvard medical school published a an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association that shows that workplace well-being programs had no impact on overall health, sleep quality, nutrition choices, health markers, healthcare usage, um, hmm. failed to move the needle on the very issues that they claim to redress. So it's it's pretty sad, um, but we do know that um, you know the the yoga and and the meditation is not helping with absenteeism, performance quality, or retention or engagement really. So let's figure something else out. Um, I'm I'm pretty interested in the work of Leah Wise, and so she wrote this fantastic book, How We Work. She's a professor at Stanford Business School. And she thinks that we need to be assessing individuals and organizations. So she has these three questions that she thinks it's wise for us to think about asking at the individual level, but the organizational level. And I I wonder what you think about these questions. The first question is, do you see the world as a place full of opportunity? And then we can have this Likert scale, zero to 10. Is it a zero? Is it a 10? Um, What's the organization uh, say on that? What's the individual say? Question two, do you feel a sense of autonomy and voice in your team? And question three, do you feel that reward systems in your organization are fair and transparent? She feels these questions are the canary in the coal mine, and they can give us a sense. You know, if we look at these maybe by division, department, individual, we can get a sense of, ooh, are we getting are we getting close to burnt, um, or are we really vibrant and mm. flourishing and engaged? What's your take on these three questions? Do you have a favorite? Do you would you would you level one up in some way? What mm. are your thoughts on these, Vanessa? I think I'm looking at them through these maybe through these lenses of oftentimes when I talk to teams where I'm doing leadership work, um, there are three kind of positions that I take. Mirror, mirror, what do I look at? What's my internal checkpoint here? So put the mirror up to the leader. Um, This around the room, like what's happening with my team? Mm. And then this view from like from the sky, Mm. what's happening from the organization. So I think what I liked about these questions is that we could apply them to each one of those groups Mm -hmm. you know I could individually say do I see the world as a place full of opportunity Mm -hmm. and what's the honest response there Mm -hmm. I could ask that question to my team and I can think about it organizationally do we as an organization see the world as full of opportunity and what would what behaviors would we be leaning into if we really did Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes you know we're quick to say oh my gosh of course I see the world full of opportunity but there's nothing about the way that you're doing your work or that you're showing up in the world that demonstrates that 
right? So asking those questions, I think, are really helpful. Um, the other one that really um, is interesting for me is this reward system. So as a team, we did our EQ long, probably a year or two ago. Um, we did it individually, and then we had it assessed as a team. And our team's number one EQ muscle, problem solving. It's great. When you have a senior leadership team that's running a large organization, mm -hmm. that's great. Our lowest dial, mm -hmm. celebration and joy. Mm -hmm. So when I think about this specifically, it feels like the anecdote to burnout is this idea of how do we create reward and celebration within organizations, especially in positions that are designed to be looking to solve problems. Mm -hmm. Because we're wired to move on to the next thing that isn't working mm -hmm. and take very little time to find joy and celebration in the work. So I, those two, that one and three kind of resonated the most with me. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm really excited about the question uh, around systems. Mm. You know, what kind of systems are we creating? Because we're upstreamists, right? Mm -hmm. We want to go upstream and figure out how do we uh, create habits and norms so that we can get to this place of flourishing. So I, I like that third question um, in particular as well. Well, so Leah Wise found that, you know, if we have individual programs, programs that are directed at individuals, around burnout we can have an impact but it only lasts for about six months so what she found is that when you um, have an intervention that targets the organization as well as the individual you can have a much longer lasting impact and much stronger so this kind of organizational burnout is not uh this work can't be done as a one-off it needs constant effort over time and really it's culture shaping mm. it's really thinking about what is the culture we want to create and, and how do we create that um through our mindsets through our habits through our behaviors um through what we stop doing through what we start doing what we continue to do so i, I love I, I love the work of richard boyatzis as you know and i know that you love the work of <laughs> richard boyatzis and we love resonant leadership mm -hmm. and we love um, his approach to mitigating burnout for leaders. And he talks quite a bit in Resonant Leadership about the renewal cycle and that as leaders, we have to be checking in with ourselves on a regular basis to, to start thinking, are we starting to feel depleted? Um, are we starting to have sacrifice syndrome? Hmm. syndrome? And so he had this, uh, he has this beautiful renewal cycle where as a leader, once you start to feel burnt, you, you go away <laughs> and you spend some time on something that fosters mindfulness and hope and compassion. And you have to give yourself doses of mindfulness, hope, and compassion. So today we're thinking about organizational burnout. And so I'm wondering what it would look like if we took mindfulness, hope, and compassion and applied it at the organizational level. Mm -hmm. So Vanessa, I know that uh, mindfulness, hope, and compassion resonate with you and the organization uh, where you're the CEO right now. What do you think about this you know what would it look like to bake in behavior on any of these things what's your what's your take on this um this effort this tactic of taking mindfulness hope and compassion and baking it into behavior 
I mean, I think it's essential. Um, it's figuring out what behaviors look like in those spaces mm-hmm. um, because these are words that are often used a lot mm-hmm. in culture right now. Mm-hmm. So how do we go deep and really understand how they show up in behavior? Um, so I think that's the first challenge is to say, what does mindfulness look like? Is mm-hmm. mindfulness saying I have a practice of giving myself permission? So I had this practice sometimes with myself over the years where I would post-it note these permission slips and say, in this season, for this project, in this moment, I have to give myself permission too. And putting them somewhere where I can see them, but it's a way of, it's creating kindness for yourself. I think mindfulness is the practice of being kind to oneself. Um, So, you know, figuring out those behaviors. I think even around this behavior of like, what does hope look and feel like in an organization? And what does compassion? Um, I think you, you know, we were talking a little bit as we were preparing today of the difference between empathy and compassion. And it is, it is the intersection where it's no longer just, you know, I'm empathetic because, you know, that's terrible that that happened and I can extend empathy. But compassion is like, I'm willing to do something different with my behavior to help support this empathy that I'm trying to extend. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was really looking at while you were kind of, you know, introducing this kind of mindfulness, hope, and compassion were the ways that we can do that. And going back to Leah Weiss's work of, you know, the self-awareness, this autonomy, the structure of rest um, and community, I'm just curious about what's the combination there. So when I think about self-awareness and this idea of mindfulness, mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I've actually, I think, learned from you a long time ago is that there's a difference between self-awareness and self-knowledge, mm-hmm. right? And I've learned over time that self-knowledge are the tools, the assessments, the things, mm-hmm. and self-awareness is the behavior modification that you're willing to engage in, which I think is the space in which mindfulness can grow. Mm-hmm. You've got to be aware enough mm-hmm. about your triggers, the things that are overwhelming you, where you're overextended, what brings you joy. Um, I started recently in some check-ins with our teams asking, give me a high and low light of your week. Because I can't just say, how's your week going? It's not enough of a question and a coaching experience. Mm -hmm. So give me a concrete example of where you have had a high of your week and a low. Give me an example of um, when you felt stressed this week. Was it in the workplace? Was it at home? And let's talk about that a little bit. So I'm just trying to get more curious. So I think this idea of mindfulness and how we can help model that is by asking really thoughtful questions and coaching Mm -hmm. so that folks are asking themselves those mindful questions Mm -hmm. um, so that they can get a little bit more clear about that. And I do think this place of compassion, this this space in which we get to put ourselves in someone else's shoes to really activate empathy and to think about what we can do to contribute positively to that person is – kindness, but it comes with a lot of clarity. I've got to ask really direct questions um, so that I don't make any assumptions about what I think is happening with you, Um, which I, you know, as I sit here and talk about that, it's what an interesting space for leaders who can be in a world that's moving really fast, Mm -hmm. where you can make the mistake of assuming you know what's happening. And you maybe cover that by saying, I can discern. I know my team, but I haven't asked. I think that's another ingredient for burnout if we're not asking the right questions. So this framework around be mindful of yourself, be mindful of your interactions with others, look for hope 
in situations, you know, where we're getting it right, what that could look like. And this idea of compassion is for me the behavior modification. Mm-hmm. How can I put myself in someone else? How can I be curious enough to really see? And then, and then to ask myself, what does compassion look like for this person? Is it saying, um, you know what, I can help you prioritize these projects because sometimes you have people who are working really hard and trying to get everything that you've assigned to them done. And they just need you to walk alongside and say, that is not a big deal this week. Take that off your plate. Someone else can do that. Or actually, that's just not a priority anymore because this other thing is a priority. So I think those are the ways that compassion can show up as well. Um, It's just having honest dialogue and doing something, a real action, Mm -hmm. to demonstrate that you are compassionate about what they're going through. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm curious, from your perspective, you coach lots of people. Which one is the most exciting for you? Well, which one is most exciting for Or helpful, me? have you seen as helpful? Yeah, well, I, I, I do think probably mindfulness. Uh, it, it's a foundation of mindfulness. So it is, it's, it's more than the knowledge and mm-hmm. those frameworks, but it's the consciousness. Oh, I am now conscious of how I'm behaving right now. And so once we have that self-awareness or that consciousness, oh, there I go, about mm-hmm. to do that thing again, um, it's just so much gentler yeah. to choose a more optimal behavior. How do you help folks not go from conscious to critical with mm-hmm. oneself? Mm-hmm. Like, where is that kind? Like, how do you help navigate that space? Because I think sometimes what I have experienced is that people are becoming more self-aware and sometimes can be really critical of themselves mm-hmm. when that's not really the intention. The mm-hmm. intention is to be more kind, mm-hmm. to be gentle with oneself. So mm-hmm. what do you think has been that transformational space between oh, I'm more aware, I'm more conscious, but I can also not be highly critical of myself. I can Mm -hmm. find goodness in that learning. Mm -hmm. I think there's so many ways. Mm. Um, Probably just even helping people understand um, what got them here won't get them there. Mm. And so if they have a behavior that they need to sunset, um, it served them. It Mm. served them. There was something about that behavior. There was some reason why that was beneficial to them in the past. But now we're going to, you know, send it out to sea. Um, That's powerful. Yeah. So I think just understanding how to be focused and aware without judgment of Mm. ourselves is, and and I think you said that, is that that's really mindfulness, is not Mm -hmm. being critical, seeing ourselves, reflecting, but not not with harshness inviting in those feelings having tea with them mm-hmm. saying oh thank you you know you've somehow benefited me um and and we're going to retire that <laughs> <laughs> off to um, see it goes yeah, yeah. you know I, I i'm thinking about your organization and i'm thinking about the fact that really this is shaping a culture mm-hmm. so how do we create a vibrant flourishing engaged culture that is really what organizational burnout um Mm -hmm. seeks to to flip on its head Mm -hmm. so how do we flourish and one of the most beautiful ways and simplest ways to shape a culture is using values and two of these three are your Mm -hmm. values at cap right so um you know when we have values there are at work wisdom we love to embody these values using some concrete methods. The first is contextual definitions. So taking the word hope, which feels ethereal and Mm -hmm. floaty and, and saying, what does hope mean at CAP? So at CAP, hope means, 
and then define it just like a Mad Lib. Um, or at a cap, compassion means fill in the blank. So defining it, the storytelling to, as a way to embody values is another powerful way. So maybe everybody uh, on the senior leadership team tells a story mm-hmm. on a little video where you say, you know, the first time I really understood hope, I was in sixth grade, mm. this was going on, blah, 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 blah. And so we're telling stories that tie our personal experiences to these three practices. Um, values align behavior. It's one that we've used with CAP mm-hmm. and you've used, I'm sure, uh, mm-hmm. without us around. But what are we going to continue doing? What are we going to start doing? Mm-hmm. What are we going to stop doing? Yeah. And so those are three concrete ways that we can take these practices of mindfulness, hope, and compassion and drive them into the culture. Um, there's one more thing that I really thought would be helpful for us to think about as we're talking about organizational burnout and how to flip that on its head so we have organizational flourishing. And it's an article that um, was in HBR uh, 2016, Candy Wins and Annie McKee, both at uh, the Wharton School at at Penn. And they had this fantastic, mind-blowing article called Why Some People Burn Out and Others Don't. And they they looked at all these chief medical officers around the country, and they saw all these CMOs were exposed to huge amounts of stress, and some of them burned out, and others did not. And so they started trying to pull out what was it about those CMOs that didn't burn out. And they had these five characteristics. The first one was those CMOs that didn't burn out, they all uh, had some sort of practice which was I'm not going to be the source of my own stress. And they figured that out. The second one was they recognized their own limitations. The third one was they used some sort of mindfulness practice to manage their own anxiety. The fourth was they reevaluated and reframed their perspective of the situation, very often saying, is this you stress or is this distress? And then fifth was they de-escalated conflicts by putting themselves in the other's shoes. So since we're really driving at solutions for our for our listeners today at the organizational level, what do you think of these five practices, Vanessa? Is there one or two here that you feel like you would strongly encourage our listeners to experiment with so that they could be preventing organizational burnout that exhaustion that cynicism that lack of efficacy do you have a favorite i think two and four okay so recognizing your own limitations and this reevaluating and reframing so i love the power of a reframe yeah i'm all about a good reframe (laughs) i don't always practice them well because sometimes i can get into a story but there is something really powerful about one having that language accessible to your team Mm -hmm. to be able to pull out when Mm -hmm. someone needs it even you the leader needs Mm -hmm. it right um so you know creating that psychological safety on a team that someone can say would you consider a reframe Mm -hmm. in that story that you're telling Mm -hmm. and the way that you're perceiving this challenge this you know competition, whatever that looks like. So there's so much power in the reframe. I always love a good reframe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it both in my professional and personal life because mm-hmm. I can get telling stories about all kinds of things to myself. Um, and there are a few key people in my world who will offer like, 
Let's reframe that a little bit, right? And let's find another way. The other one that I think, this number two, recognize your own limitations. This has been something that I'm still trying to unravel for myself. Um, I'm a two on the Enneagram, right? So the helpers struggle with limitations because we live um, with clear purpose around being needed and being helpful. So it's really easy for me to... um, give myself permission to overextend Mm -hmm. because it's in the spirit of being a helper. Mm -hmm. So that space around knowing my own limitations is the practice of highest and best use. Mm -hmm. Um, And trying to constantly ask myself that question. Also recognizing that highest and best use looks different in every season. Mm -hmm. And I think it is, it is a, is a skill that leaders need to practice how do I articulate my highest and best use? And how do I know when it's up for discussion change because of the season of the organization, of the work, of the team? Um, there's a framework around situational leadership mm-hmm. that helps people box through that space sometimes. But it is one of the things that I think leaders, we have to pay a lot of attention to. Because when you are the set leader of a team, you can easily convince yourself that there are no limits because you're responsible for it all. Mm-hmm. And that's not your highest and best use. There's mm-hmm. magic that you bring to the work that you've got to really understand. And you've got to be able to discern when it's serving you and your team well and when you might need to shift a mm-hmm. little bit. So those are the two that stuck out for me is this idea of like reframing and really being honest with myself about what is my highest and best use? What are my limitations in this season? Can I give myself permission here to show up differently, um, knowing that it's still going to be helpful to the team? Um And that can be hard when you feel responsible to show up in all the ways um, for all the people and all the the times. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Something that you've shared with me that has been helpful at preventing organizational burnout. Um, I hope it's okay that I share this, this idea of a strategy screen. Mm -hmm. So that really gets at understanding our limitations or um, not being the source of our own stress. Uh, strategy screen is just a set of filter questions that help us understand what winning is. And then, and then we ask questions about different opportunities that come up. We run it through these filter questions and very often we get to know. And very often we say, yeah, that's not going to help us win. So we're not going to do that. So that really kind of checks a couple of boxes Mm -hmm. on this list. And sometimes we've just been through this where we strategy screened an opportunity and it was a yes. Um, But we did on the strategy screen say that we didn't have capacity. Mm -hmm. That was one of our questions around capacity. But everything else was a yes. So we are moving. We move forward with an opportunity and we're still trying to answer the question around capacity. Um, and that's just, you know, we've got to learn. I mean, and, and that is part of, I think, you know, when you think about transparency as leaders, about saying, wow, we do have a process and we used it, but did we really go deep enough here with this tool? Because we're still grappling with the same question that was evident to us in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But there's something that allowed us to keep on going down the yes road. Mm-hmm. And now we're trying to solve for that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the space in which we can create um, moments of like, wow, we didn't actually get that right this time. Additive. Mm-hmm. You know, all lessons are additive. Mm-hmm. Um, that hindsight is additive. Um, and, you know, I think when it comes to burnout, it can be easily, we could easily be critical of each other 
and say, you know, we're doing too much. We, should, we didn't do this right versus saying, hmm, I wonder why we said yes, even though from the very beginning we knew capacity was a question. Mm-hmm. Let's dig more into that mm-hmm. um, because that might give us some clarity about where our intention was mm-hmm. when we started that process. Mm-hmm. Well, you're bringing up something else that I think might have to do with archetype. So if we look at the archetype of the organization, is it one that the shadow side is really burnout? Yeah. And, you know, um, the the helper, the caregiver, the mentor, you know, the shadow of all of those is burnout. So what if we looked at those and and ask ourselves, what what do we do differently so that we can flourish and we can um, protect our time and and be cognizant of our limitations. Mm -hmm. So there are so many things that we can start thinking about in terms of organizational burnout, where there are new norms that we can adopt, there's role modeling we can embrace so that we have flourishing, we have joy, we have engagement. Um, So of everything that we talked about today, you know, it may be wise for our listeners to just pick one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, don't try and eat the whole elephant at one time, but just experiment with one thing and talk with your team about what would help us to flourish, what would help us to get to this level of vibrancy and excitement and enthusiasm, um, and what would that structural or systemic approach look like. And experiment with it. And then give us a call or shoot us an email mm-hmm. and tell us how it how it went for you. So, um, Vanessa, I'm so grateful to you for being part of this movement of helping others in the workplace to enhance their individual and collective team performance. Thank you, listeners, for downloading The Behaviorist, and we hope you'll subscribe. Please reach out to us through our website, workwisdomllc.com, where you can enjoy Work Wisdom Press and productions. You can ask us questions. Uh, you, te- you can tell us how it's going, and you can give us suggestions for topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. So as is our custom, we'll leave you with a, a quote from this wise but unknown source. You are not required to set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. Mm-hmm.